cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Bob Hoban, global cannabis industry expert. Bob, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. I'm back in Denver, Colorado, and uh, actually in our brand new Clark Hill, Denver office. I haven't even uh, had a chance to put my photos up yet, so it's a good place to be. The Farm Bill, right? It was introduced a bunch of years back, and we've got an upcoming bill. I'd love to just give our listeners a high-level overview of kind of like what the Farm Bill is and kind of what is on the dock coming forward. Yeah, you know, and I'll sort of back into that Farm Bill. You know, one of the things to the last question that I've sort of prided myself in my career is always looking at what's next and trying to be innovative for our clients uh, and serve innovative and, and entrepreneurial clients. And, you know, we opened up some of the first dispensaries in Colorado and then repeated that in multiple states. We were one of the first firms to really uh, embrace hemp, the Farm Bill. I'll, I'll comment on that in a minute. We were one of the first firms to work internationally uh, and, and become that global policy uh, expert and industry expert. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of prided myself on a lot of firsts in the industry, but the Farm Bill started in 2014. It was a derivation of something called the Industrial Hemp Farming Act, which was a Mitch McConnell bill that got rolled into the Farm Bill. So for that was the most sweeping reform in U.S. cannabis history. And it's pretty significant because that language remains there today after being renewed in 2018 and will ultimately be renewed again this year uh, before the end of the year as part of the Farm Bill, which is a package of agricultural policies that Congress enacts every five years. Again, first time it had mentioned hemp was 2014, 2018 with no research restrictions. And then now we'll see it move forward uh, towards the end of this year. So slightly switching gears, you've been in the cannabis industry for a while now. And obviously, I've seen you speak on the international circuit. And I'm hoping that you're providing some guidance for them when they're setting up the frameworks for their industries to learn from some of the United States, let's call it mistakes or steps in the wrong direction. Is that the pulse you're feeling? Or are you feeling that each country is taking their own unique approach? Well, you could say, you could use the word state because just like most of the states in the U.S. use their own approach, call it reinventing the wheel, the international governments tend to, to do the same thing. And, you know, the concerning thing is that they hire pedigreed professionals from large consulting firms or so-called cannabis industry experts, which we've seen them all come and go. And, you know, somebody that's worked in the space or studied the space for six months is not an expert, but yet somehow, some way, because of connections or perhaps where they went to school or where they worked, that's where these countries find some of these people. And I, and I have worked in over 35 countries around the world, continue to offer guidance uh, and the like, but you know, some of these countries tend to want to do it their way based on some expert that completely misses the boat on some of the things that we're talking about. Plus, you got to remember, every country legalizes cannabis for a different reason. What's the, the quote-unquote why? Is it social justice, criminal justice reform? Is it medicine? Is it revenue and jobs? Those are just a handful of some of the reasons. So every country has to have their own reason, and that reason will tailor how they create their program. But there's not as much of 
hey, what did they do over here that worked that I'd like to see done over here? There's not as much as that as you'd expect. And frankly, it, it, it is disappointing um, because there's so many lessons that can be learned. Uh, and, you know, look at Germany. Germany has had stakeholders in the process and they, they leak all of these drafts to get public comment before they're officially released uh, for, for, for publication by the government. And, you know, that feedback is all over the map. Um, but, you know, when you're asking for feedback from the cannabis industry, unfortunately, it's not just policy or commercial feedback. It's it's feedback based on activism. And I don't malign that because we wouldn't be here talking about any of this without decades and decades of activists before us and their hard work and dedication. But when a movement becomes an industry, the discussion has to change and the discussion hasn't changed on a global scale yet about how to create a viable commercial framework. Um, and, and that's unfortunately where the discussion needs to be focused. That's heavy. That's also sad, right? Like the, I think the, the most optimistic part of like seeing you speak on all these conferences is recognizing that these other countries can learn from the United States mistakes or hopefully implement better institutional steps to, to have a, a burgeoning market. So are there any countries that you're optimistic for? Obviously, that last statement didn't feel so well. But is there any countries in the back of your mind you're thinking are on the right track or headed to the right track? Well, I think Germany was on the right track, maybe with a little bit over regulation and over taxation. But then, you know, that discussion was derailed in their work with the European Union and the United Nations. And of course, all of those things are, are related. So they effectively decided to move away from the adult use model and to focus on a medical model that they already had in place, which I'll talk about that in a moment. And then the adult use part of it was kind of uh, addressed through a, a social club model or will be addressed through a social club model. So that's, in effect, a way to create a lesser regulated, not international commerce-related element of the cannabis industry. And that coffee shop, that social club model, we see it in Spain, we've seen it in the Netherlands, we've seen it in many countries. And, and it works, but it's not a system that is you know, creates transferable licenses necessarily and, and aggregates, you know, uh, dollars for, from an international perspective. So then the Germans need to now be comfortable with the fact that their medical system is going to get a little bit more slippery. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Well, my experience generally is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Grateful Dead and, and one of the one of the, the things that always come out to me and, and one of the lines I live my life by is uh, from a song called Seen a Circumstance. It says, I sure don't know what I'm going for, but I'm going to go for it for sure. And I think that that's the fire that everyone's got to have, no matter what it is, whether it's cannabis, your job, your life, your education, you have to have the conviction that you're going for something. You might not know exactly what that thing is, but your gut and your body and your mind tell you to go for it and you go all in. Even in this day of technology and advancements with, with you know, working smarter, not harder, you still got to work hard. The person that just works smart is never going to get anywhere compared to the person who works smart and hard. You got to go for it. I like it. All right, prediction time. Bob, cannabis will eventually be a global game. What steps are needed domestically for the U.S. to operate globally? Well, you need to legalize it federally. Once, once the United States federally legalizes cannabis in all forms, um, then it will be a major player in that supply chain 
and it will change the way the world treats uh, the product. Now, right now, we're looking at hemp, which is federally legal, and hemp is being exported and imported across the, the United States on a big scale, but almost in a way that we don't talk about it. Now, let's not forget, in 2014, the first Farm Bill allowed the United States to export hemp compounds. At the same time, GW Pharma, Jazz Pharmaceutical now, uh, with that acquisition, they were developing marijuana-based CBD products. That's what Epidiolex is based on. Why would you ever use marijuana? Why would you deal with those strict controls and the cost associated with that? Why don't you realize that if I grow a thousand acres of hemp and I separate the compounds into their buckets, and if I grow it in a way that is, you know, uh, uh, leading me to an API grade product and I produce it in a way where it's an API grade product, that I can sell those products around the world. Um, we're still not there yet because our, our notion of medical cannabis is still based around, hey, what strain should I use for this condition? Well, that's a great question to ask, but I don't know if that's a question that's, that the medical community is going to answer in the United States. You're going to have to figure that out on your own, and then the rest of the people that aren't familiar with that are going to go get a pill from a doctor in the next 10 to 20 years, and that's how they're going to use cannabis or cannabinoids. Uh, and they're not necessarily something that cross over to one another, but uh, those are the ways of the future. And, you know, the more and more you see the FDA will get involved around cannabinoids and cannabinoid production, the more you're going to see the U.S. sort of drive their position around cannabis. Um, but it is evolving, and it's not just flower-centric. And that's the important thing to take away from this thing. It is a supply chain, and supply chains rely on consistent commodities produced in an efficient, price-conscious way. And we don't have that right now. Uh, it's evolving, but we don't have it right now. Thanks for taking the time, Bob. This was a lot of fun. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. 
We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.